In our last episode, we began with the story of William W. Drummond, who in 1855 was appointed a federal judge of the Utah Territory. Drummond began his tenure by attacking the legal foundations of the hard-won Utah settlements, getting himself arrested for aggravated assault, and clumsily starting a war with the Ute Indian tribe. And yet somehow the troubles were just beginning. On today's episode, we continue the story of the infamous judge W.W. Drummond. I'm Nate Olson, and this is Adventures in Mormon History. In the summer of 1856, Judge Drummond moved his court from Fillmore to Carson City in present-day Nevada, which was the furthest venue within the Utah Judicial Territory. Now, in moving the court, he ran up a large bill to the public treasury, including $250 on whiskey alone. For a time, he held court in Carson City. His wife, Mrs. Ada Drummond, remained as flamboyant as ever. As she had done in Utah, she continued her antics of sitting next to Judge Drummond on the bench while he presided in court, chatting and teasing him throughout the proceedings. But suddenly, in 1857, Drummond absconded from his post. Now, from a financial perspective, he didn't actually need the income from the job. He had spent much of his time speculating in horse trading and, what's more, in slave trading, financing the capture of black men and women who had escaped slavery and fled to California. But what the Latter-day Saints did not know was that Judge Drummond had laid an audacious plan to take Brigham Young's place as governor of the Utah Territory. Right before he left, Drummond sent the newspapers an open letter of resignation, which included diatribe against polygamy, the Latter-day Saint practice that he denounced as open lewdness, a most loathsome, barbarous, cruel, black, and degrading evil. But this was just the opening salvo. Drummond next accused the Latter-day Saints of treason, especially Brigham Young, whom Drummond described as a man clothed with priestly power and wholly unlearned in the science of law. This man was permitted to bid open defiance and sportive rebellion against the federal authority of the United States. After leaving Utah, Drummond traveled to California and from there boarded a ship bound for New Orleans. He was, as always, accompanied by Ada. When the two of them arrived in the antebellum south, Drummond launched a crusade against the Latter-day Saints, giving public lectures, writing to government officials, and publishing anonymous letters in newspapers. In all of these, Drummond continually raised the cry of treason, and to the shock of the southern people, Drummond described the Mormon practice of polygamy, adding, according to one newspaper, many revolting shades to the general picture. What's more, he told his audience that the Mormons were drawn from the northern portion of the Republic, and such Yankees were not to be trusted. But in raising the alarm of the dangers of Mormonism, Drummond also offered a solution. The only hope was to replace Brigham Young with someone else, and the new governor would need an army at his command. It was no secret, of course, that Drummond saw himself as the man perfectly suited to the job. He wrote to Senator Stephen A. Douglas, I want nothing unless you make me the governor of Utah instead of B. Young. He wrote to the Buchanan administration, assuring them that he would 
prepare at once for the arduous and most responsible task of governing the Mormons. Privately, he gloated in one letter to a friend, I have stirred the waters of the saints and shall keep up the war in all time to come. I may go to Utah as governor, and if so, look out for a merry time. I will take it with military aid. And Drummond's efforts seem to be working. From Washington, D.C., George A. Smith wrote that Drummond was one of the most popular men in the nation at present. Another Latter-day Saint, William Appleby, penned a warning to Brigham Young that, thanks to Drummond, I have never perceived such an acrimonious spirit prevailing against the Mormons. Church friend and agent in Washington, D.C., Thomas L. Kane, saw the need to counter Drummond's growing influence. He began coordinating with George A. Smith in St. Louis and in New York with John Taylor and William Appleby. They began a gumshoe investigation into Drummond's background. While rumors abounded about Drummond's past during his time in Utah, nothing had been proved. So William Appleby began with one of the more salacious rumors that had long circulated in Utah about the judge. Rumors that Drummond emphatically denied about his wife. That is to say, his real wife, not Ada Drummond, the gregarious lady that sat with him on the bench and now traveled with him on his public speaking engagements. His real wife was Jemima McClanahan, whom he had married when they lived in Kentucky. When Drummond was appointed to the federal bench, he promptly abandoned Jemima and their ten children, leaving them nearly penniless while he set out for the Utah Territory. Well, who then was Ada Drummond? To find out, Appleby traveled to the seedy streets of Baltimore. In something of an aberration from a normal church assignment, one he described as a most humiliating thing, Appleby wandered through the city's red-light districts and began making inquiries around the city's bordellos. He made some contacts that brought him to one of the bordellos in the city and introduced him to the madam who ran it. As she informed him, the woman known as Ada Drummond had been one of the more popular girls employed at the bordello before she had left for the Utah Territory. She was known by a number of different aliases, such as Skinny Ada or Mary Carroll. Her real name, it turns out, was Mary Fletcher, and she had been married to a Baltimore school teacher, Charles Fletcher. However, she decided to leave the profession after meeting Judge Drummond, who was traveling to Washington, D.C. to accept his appointment to the bench, and visited the bordello in a lascivious detour from his meeting. Apparently, on seeing her for the first time, Drummond was stupefied and dramatically exclaimed, You! Oh, the same person I saw a few nights since in a dream. Is it possible that I am going to love a hussy? Well, Drummond the Dreamer promptly abandoned his wife, his ten children, and took Ada with him to Salt Lake City. Armed with this information, Thomas Kane launched a bare-knuckle assault in the press on Drummond. His cruel abandonment of his wife and children, his lascivious and ridiculous shenanigans with Ada while presiding over even death penalty cases, his foolish blundering into a Ute Indian war, and the cruelty of his assault on Levi Abrams, all was laid bare in the national press. For a time, it was unclear whether these revelations into Drummond's past would be believed. Drummond simply denied them. But then, Appleby's discoveries were bolstered by a source unlooked for, 
the Keskaton Guardian, Drummond's hometown newspaper, which wrote that if Drummond's private history was written, it would be as cruel and inhuman treatment of his family as could be found in the annals of infamous husbands. It then reported how Jemima Drummond and her children had been abandoned, how she tried to find the judge in Chicago, and how he managed to give her the slip, only to double back to their family home and take two of the children with him, without so much as a word to his wife. The newspaper also reprinted a letter that Ada had written to the forsaken Jemima, telling her to leave the judge alone. And yet, the nation's reaction was not what the Latter-day Saints had hoped for. Many Americans really didn't see much of a difference between the adulterous, duplicitous, fleshmonger Drummond and the polygamist families of the Latter-day Saints. The weekly Hawkeye and Telegraph, an Iowan newspaper, wrote, The Mormons are bad enough in all conscience, but the infamy of Judge Drummond makes even them appear respectable by comparison. The Georgia newspaper, the Daily Constitutionalist and Republic, similarly editorialized, All will agree that this judge is no better than a Mormon. By the time the Latter-day Saints had unmasked Drummond's character, an army was already marching towards Utah. The Latter-day Saints now found themselves alone, mistrusted and held in contempt by both political parties in Washington and the target of an ill-defined military campaign. During this time, where many saints felt friendless and alone, one of them, Seth M. Blair, a former Texas Ranger and veteran of the Texas War of Independence, took up his pen to write a plea for help to his former commander, now Senator Sam Houston of Texas. In our next episode, we'll explore the unexpected friendship of Sam Houston to the Latter-day Saints during the Utah War. I'm Nate Olson, and this is Adventures in Mormon History.